Hi, welcome to the New Story Church podcast. We hope that this week's message encourages you and brings you closer to Jesus. This morning we're going to start a series that's called Set Apart. Scott's going to continue that series uh, next week. And it's taken from the book of 1 Peter. So that's what we're going to be diving into today, the first chapter of 1 Peter. If you want to go to there, you can find it on your device or your Bible. But before we do, I'd like to share with you about the summer of 1978. The summer of 1978. How many of you were not even born in the summer of 1978? Yeah, yeah. Well, at that time, I had just completed my freshman year in college. It was between my freshman and my sophomore year. Daryl Ann, my wife, and I had not started dating until our sophomore year, so we were not dating at that time. I finished my education for my freshman year, and I went home to live with my parents in Tonawanda for the summer. I needed a job, so I applied to the Kemortana Tonawanda school system, and I received a job for the summer in the maintenance department. Now, I was assigned in the maintenance department to the roofing division within the maintenance department of Kenton Schools. And so for the summer of 1978, I spent that summer on the roof of either Kenmore East, the three-story building, or Kenmore West, a four-story building, the entire summer. I must declare that the summer of 1978 had to be the hottest summer on record in Buffalo, New York. I was up on the roof, feeling the 95-degree heat beating down on me, reflecting off the black tar. It was dusty. It was dirty. I was sweaty. I was smelly. And it was back-breaking work for the entire summer. But every day, I looked forward to one thing. What I looked forward to every day was going home and going into the basement where my father had set up a shower and just standing in the shower of the cool shower, washing myself of the dust, the dirt, the grime, the tar that I had uh, accumulated throughout the day, and just feeling clean, refreshed, renewed. I almost felt as if life were coming back into my body at that time after sweating and laboring on the roof of those two high schools. You know, there's a physical cleansing that can take place. But there's also a spiritual and an emotional cleansing that can take place too. And we're going to talk about that throughout our message this morning. So let's dive in. First Peter, first chapter, 13th verse, reading as follows. Therefore, with minds that are fully alert and fully sober... Set your hope on the grace to be brought to you when Jesus Christ is revealed at his coming. As obedient children, do not conform to the evil desires you had when you lived in ignorance. But just as he who called you is holy, so be holy in all you do. For it is written, be holy because I am holy." Since you call on the Father who judges each person's work impartially, live out your time as foreigners here in reverent fear. For you know that it was not with perishable things such as silver or gold that you were redeemed from the empty way of life handed down to you from your ancestors. But, but, a very important three-letter word, but, with the precious blood of Christ Christ. 
a lamb without blemish or defect. He was chosen before the creation of the world, but was revealed in these last times at your sake. Through him you believe in God, who raised him from the dead and glorified him. And so your faith and hope are in God. Just a tremendous pa uh, passage of scripture, which we're going to unpack this morning, if you will. Now, as we think of Peter writing this book, he was writing this book to the Christians who lived in northern Asia Minor. That's the area of modern-day Turkey today. So Peter's writing to the Christians living in northern Asia Minor, or, or modern-day Turkey, the northern aspect. And these Christians were living under difficult circumstances. Many of them were being criticized, and might I even say persecuted, for their faith. Some scholars refer to 1 Peter, if they were to summarize 1 Peter in a few words, they would summarize it as holy living in a hostile world. Holy living in a hostile world. How do we live our life for Christ in a holy manner when we're living in a society which is hostile and even antithetical to the cause of Christ? Those Christians were experiencing that, and Peter was writing to them. And so the series over these next couple weeks is going to be that concept of holy living in a hostile world. We're calling it set apart. How do we live as Christians being set apart and yet being engaging in our society? Well, who could better write this letter than Peter? Because after all, remember, Peter was one of Jesus' disciples. Peter lived with Jesus for three years. Peter was one of the intimate disciples of the 12, Peter, James, and John. Jesus probably spent more time with those three disciples than the others. And Peter talked with Jesus, rubbed shoulders with Jesus, ate with Jesus, and probably even as they, as they traveled about, slept with him in their, in their camp. Peter saw Jesus throughout his life. But those three years, he saw Jesus as holy, as pure, without sin, fully God, yet fully man. And yet, in his purity, Peter saw Jesus crucified, persecuted, tortured, and killed. So who better than Peter who could write about holy living? in a hostile world? How do we as Christians live when people and community and society is hostile towards us? What becomes our posture? Well, this morning I'm going to give you a very simple message with four C's. Four C's. First of all, the command. Next, the change. Next, the cost. And then the choice. Very simple. The command, the change, the cost, and the choice. Well, let's jump into the command. Peter's quoting Leviticus when he says, Be holy because I am holy. The 16th verse from the passage which I just read. Peter is quoting from the book of Leviticus, chapter 11, verses 44 through 45, where he says, I am the Lord your God. Consecrate yourselves and be holy because I am holy. Do not make yourselves unclean by any creature that moves along the ground. I am the Lord who brought you out of Egypt to be your God. Therefore, 
be holy because I am holy. God is commanding the Israelites to be holy. Now, let's just pause for a second. If you're watching online this morning, I'd like you to go to the chat and I'd like you to just type in some synonyms for the word holy. What does holy mean to you? Type in some words in the chat if you're watching online. And if you're present in the auditorium this morning, you don't get off the hook. I'd like you to think of some words that could be synonyms or words that would define holy. And so right now, I'm going to listen and I'd like you to shout out some words that I could hear that would define holy or synonyms for holy. What could some words be? Pure, excellent, others. Righteous, good. Anyone else? Set apart. Set apart. Ooh, the name of our series. Excellent. Anything else? Some big ones could be consecrated, sanctified, sacred, virtuous, faithful, saintly. All words that describe the Lord, don't they? You know, Exodus 15.11 speaks of the glory, that God is glorious in his holiness. Glorious in his holiness. You know, that's what Joy and the band do when they lead us in worship before the message is delivered. They're leading us into the throne room of God where we can see God glorious in his holiness. We see him as perfect, holy, pure, righteous. And, and our response is, is to bow because we know, we know that we do not have those characteristics, right? We know that we are not glorious and righteous and holy and pure as God is. And yet, he commands us, admonishes us, and tells us, be holy as I am holy. It, 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 it plays with our head. Sometimes we can kind of wrap our mind around the fact that God is holy. Well, well I can almost understand that, his holiness. But God, how, how can I be holy? How can I be holy? Any one of you after the service today could go to my wife, Daryl Ann, of 40 years, actually 40 years next month, I might add, and you could say, hey, Daryl Ann, is Dave holy? And her response is she'll look to you and she'll smile. <laughs> and she probably won't answer. But she knows that I'm far from holy, that I've said things I shouldn't have said. I've done things that I shouldn't have done. I've sinned in action, in omission and commission, as they say. And I'm sure that you can relate to that because you've done the same. We all have. So how do we wrap our mind around the fact that we are to be holy? Like, why is it, and I, and I wonder this, like, why is it that God asks us to do these impossible things? It just doesn't seem fair. It just doesn't seem right. Let me share with you some other things. How about, how about in Matthew 5, 29, where Jesus says, if your right eye causes you to stumble, gouge it out and throw it away. It's better for you to lose one part of your body than for your whole body to be thrown into hell. Now, who of us have not sinned with our eyes? Come on, let's be real. And I don't see a lot of one-eyed people out there with your eyes gouged out. Or how about Matthew, the verse 44 of the same chapter? Where Jesus really is gouged out. 
Or how about Matthew, the verse 44 of the same chapter, where Jesus really nails us and he says, but I tell you, love your enemies, pray for those who persecute you. What? Come on, love my enemies? That person who criticizes me, condemns me, swears at me, belittles me, angers me, abused me, harmed me, injured me, my enemy? You expect me to love? Impossible. Can't be done. It even gets more personal. As in Luke 18, 22, Jesus said to the rich young ruler, you still lack one thing. Sell everything you have. Give to the poor. And you will have treasure in heaven. Then come follow me. Whoa, 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 Jesus. You're getting too personal on this one. This is too personal. I went to college for, in medical school for 12 years of training after high school. I worked all, life, all the last 35 years laboring to care for people, to accumulate and care for the, for the needs of my family and, and to obtain a retirement and even to be able to give money to my children when I die. My whole life I've worked for it, God, and you expect me to give it to you? Come on! Ridiculous. I can't do it. Unacceptable. Impossible. And then Jesus said to his disciples in Luke 9, 23, whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves and take up their cross daily and follow me. And then like a punch to the solar plexus, he gives you the next verse. For whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves. I'm sorry. Whoever wants to save their life will lose it. But whoever loses their life for my sake, we'll save it. Giving up your life, giving up all you have, holding nothing back. That's what he demands. Whoa, why does God ask us to do impossible things? It just doesn't seem right. Is he taunting us? Is he taunting us kind of like you taunt a cat where you have a little rubber mouse on a string and you throw the little rubber mouse out and the cat jumps after the mouse and just when they're ready to pounce on it, you pull it away. And they pounce out, you pull it away. They keep pulling it away as they try and pounce on the mouse. Is that what God does to us? He's just pulling it away, taunting us. We can't achieve what he demands. No, I don't think it's that. God calls us to a deeper spiritual walk with him and to live on a higher spiritual plane. He calls us deeper. He calls us higher. He calls us deeper, he calls us higher. It doesn't matter, to tell you the truth, it doesn't even matter if you know Christ or not. Whether you've known Christ for one day or a hundred years, it doesn't matter. That's what the call of God does. It draws you into a deeper relationship with him and it calls you to a higher plane of spiritual level, deeper and higher. That's what he draws us to. Now to prove that, if I could, if you'd bear with me, I'd like you to help me with a little exercise. As you're sitting here in the auditorium or maybe as you're watching online, I'm going to ask you to close your eyes. And I'm going to ask you, as you close your eyes, I'm going to ask you to close your ears. What I mean by that is I don't want you to listen to my words with your ears. I want you to listen to my words 
with your heart, with your heart, the seat of your emotions. Close off your ears, close off your mind, as a matter of fact. Don't even think about cerebrally what I'm saying. Open your heart as I paraphrase some of the verses that you just heard. Listen to this. See if this is calling you deeper and higher. With your heart open, listen. Love your enemies. Follow Christ alone. Give to the poor. Take up your cross. Be holy. You can open your eyes. As you listen with your heart, do not those very simple words, many of them only three to four words in a phrase, do they not call you deeper? Is there not the spirit within that yearns you to go higher with him? And so, Christ gives us the command to be holy as he is holy. And now, how do we do that? Well, we're going to look at that in partly by looking at our next C. First, it was the command. Now it's the change, or what I'm going to call the change in perspective. The change in perspective. Peter speaks about this in the 17th verse, where he says, Since you call on a father who judges these persons work impartially, live out your time as foreigners here in reverent fear. Hmm. Live as foreigners. Live as foreigners. Live as foreigners. What does that mean to live as a foreigner? Well, has anybody, if, if, has anybody uh, who's been born in the United States left the United States and gone to another country? Anybody done that? Raise your hand. Now, if you went to Canada, put your hand back down. <laughs> I, 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 I'm not sure I really consider the Canadian culture, you know, a lot different than our culture. When I first experienced being a foreigner, it's when I traveled with a ministry, a medical ministry, called Operation Serve. I've spoken of this before. And when I traveled with Operation Serve, I was going as a doctor to minister to the people who were living in the garbage dumps of Mexico City. Living in garbage. Living in garbage. And what I saw was a church in the garbage dumps. It was a church that was made of garbage. And this church was made of garbage. It was made of wood and corrugated metal and cardboard and burlap and other scraps of garbage that could be found and fashioned together in a building. And you can see in this, um, if you'd show that picture, thank you, you could see certain people standing around that church and praying for that church. Now let me point something out to you. Their skin is a different color than my skin. Their language is a different language than what I spoke. Their traditions were different traditions than I uh, followed. Their perspective was a different perspective than what I had. Their culture was different than my culture. I was the foreigner. I was different than they were. I was the foreigner. Now, fast forward for a few years later, I visited Cairo, Egypt and did the same thing. Ministered in the garbage dumps of Cairo, Egypt. And um, what you're going to see is a picture of some people worshiping in a church in Cairo, Egypt. 
Now, when I went to Cairo, Egypt, um, not only did we minister to people, but we also, uh, Daryl Ann joined me on this trip. I was speaking at a pastor's conference. So, so you're going to see pastors and pastor's wives worshiping in the church that we were at. Once again, my skin color was different. My language was different. My traditions were different. My perspective was different. The culture was different. I was the foreigner. When we were in Cairo, Egypt, if you've ever been to Cairo, Egypt, you know that on the street corners, just about every street corner in Cairo, Egypt, is a speaker. On every street corner, every street corner, a speaker, speaker, speakers all over the city. And these speakers are wired to a mosque, a local mosque. And at that mosque is an Amman, a holy man within the Muslim faith. And that holy man, five times a day, would go to the microphone and give the call to prayer to Allah, pray, and expound on the Quran in the Arabic language, five times a day. And it would go on and on and on. And as you're living in that city, there's this consistent droning that would take place. It was very spiritually unsettling. I felt different. I felt like I didn't belong. Very disorienting for me. I was the foreigner. Hmm. Peter tells us to live as foreigners. What does that mean? I think what that means is my, I, I, I live in Tonawanda. I work in Kenmore or in Amherst. I visit Buffalo and many of the suburbs, but Western New York is not my home. See, my home is in heaven. And just like you, you may live in Cheektowaga, you may live in Tonawana, you may live in Buffalo, you may live in West Seneca, you may live in Niagara Falls or Lockport or Loopport. You may live anywhere in Western New York or even beyond Western New York. It is not your home. If you've named the name of Christ, your home is in heaven. Upon this earth, you are the foreigner. You are different. You have different values, different traditions, different beliefs, different thoughts, different language. You are different. You are the foreigner. Now, as the foreigner, sometimes we want to retreat. Sometimes we want to kind of hide. Sometimes society is difficult. Sometimes it's even harsh. Sometimes we want to climb under a rock and just pretend we're not a Christian. But what Peter is admonishing us to do is to live as a foreigner to engage, to move forward, to share the love of Christ and the cause of Christ, to bring the cause of Christ and the ideas of Christ to the marketplace of ideas, whether it's in your school or in your home or whether it's in your community or whether it's in your job, your place of employment, your relationships, and yes, even your relationships with your enemies. The cause of Christ moves us forward, engaging as the foreigner, recognizing that we are different. Yes, we are different, and that's okay. No, it's not okay. It's good, and it's the way that God wants it to be. And so as foreigners, how do we live? What are some of the tenets that we believe as foreigners living upon this earth before we get to our home in heaven? Well, some of the things that we believe, if you name the name of Christ, is that we love when others hate. We give when others take. We bring hope to a society in despair. We bring life 
to a culture of death. Living in Western New York, we have experienced one of the greatest atrocities. Evil, evil manifestation and racism that took place within our community just weeks ago. Scarring the lives of countless people. Death within our society. What becomes our response? We retreat. We hide. We climb under a rock. We pretend it didn't happen. Or we move forward and we engage. We share the cause of Christ. And we recognize that when we love, when others hate. We give when others take. We bring hope to a society in despair. And we bring life to a culture of death. Those are all the first steps of being holy as God is holy. See, we recognize that we are different, but we choose to be present. We recognize we're different, but we choose to be present, to be present in society and circumstances in our community for the cause of Christ. And so we have the command to be holy, we have the change or the change in perspective where we take our mindset and we change it and we say we are living as foreigners within our community. It is not our home, but we will impact it for good. And then we have the third C, which is the cost. Peter reminds us of the cost that was paid by Jesus. In verses 18 and 19, he says, For you know that it was not with perishable things, such as silver or gold, that you were redeemed from the empty way of life, handed down to you, from your ancestors. Here's that three-letter word again. But with the precious blood of Christ, a lamb without blemish or defect, the blood of Christ. Our ability to approach a holy God is not based on the good things that we've done. Our ability to approach a holy God is because of the blood of Christ which was shed and which we have accepted, and which covers our sin, that allows us to worship him and enter into his presence. Now, when I worked in 1978 on that hot summer, during that hot summer on the roof, as I was working that job, I did it for one reason. I wish I could tell you that I did it because I was so spiritual as a freshman that I wanted to share Christ with all those wonderful men who I lived with were just a tremendous harvest field. That wasn't the reason. The reason why I worked that job is I wanted a paycheck. I needed a paycheck. I wanted to get back to school. And so I worked in that summer of 1978 up on the roof in the blazing sun, dusty, dirty, tarry environment, backbreaking work, because I wanted a paycheck. And every other Friday, the Kenmore Tonatanawana school system delivered to me a paycheck. It was a paycheck that I earned by the sweat of my brow and the labor of my hands. It wasn't a gift. The Kenmore Tanatanawana school system said, hey, Dave, we like you. You're a nice guy. Have a paycheck. No, I worked for every penny of that paycheck. Backbreaking labor, I worked for that paycheck. I earned it. It was owed me by my employer. So different than Christ, isn't it? So different than Christ. See, you can't earn the relationship with Jesus. You can't earn his love. You can't earn the love of God. You can't earn acceptance by God. Now, let's be really honest this morning. We've all tried. 
We've all tried. If I'm just a little better, if I just speak a little kinder, if I just do a little more good, if I get a little more money when my, my emotions are stirred, surely, God, I can be accepted by you. It's not the case. Relationship with God, relationship with Christ is a free gift. But there was a cost to the freeness of the gift. And the cost was blood that was shed. See, Peter could write about this because Peter walked with Jesus for three years, ate with him, slept with him, rubbed shoulders with him, was chastised by him, even denied him at the end. Saw him tortured, whipped, beaten, crucified, nails driven into his hands, into his feet, and a spear jabbed into his side. Not only did Jesus see it, but he was probably so close that he could smell it or even go over to the cross and, and, and reach out and touch it and feel the blood. See, for us 2,000 years ago, the blood of Christ is almost this theological idea. Oh, the blood of Christ. Kind of like communion or some other thought, like God is good. Theological thought. Not to Peter. It was reality. His denial felt he caused it. The torturing that took place, the blood that was shed, smell it, touch it. It was a real experience to Peter. And so he of all people could surely share about the importance of the blood of Christ. Paul sums it up in Romans 3, 23, 25, where he says, For all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. And all are justified freely by his grace through the redemption that came by, Jesus, by Christ Jesus. God presented Christ as a sacrifice of atonement through the shedding of his blood to be received by faith. Not earned. Not demanded. Freely given. Freely given. We have all sinned. We have all been justified by faith, those of us who name the name of Christ. And so as I kind of pull things together, and as I ask Joy and the band to join me on the stage, I just kind of like recap these three C's that you've heard about so far. First of all, the command. God tells us, be holy as I am holy. Next, the change in perspective. The idea that we as Christians need to torque our brains, need to change our perspective to the point where we see ourselves as living in foreigners within a community. Foreigners with different speech, different values, different purposes, different plans, different ideas, different uh, traditions, different values. But not retreating, not backing away, not hiding from the dirt and grime and evil that we see within our society, but engaging, moving forward, sharing the cause of Christ, bringing his ideas to the marketplace of ideas amongst our community, whether that's school, whether that's work, whether that's relationships, whether that's with enemies. And then we acknowledge the cost, the blood that was shed, really shed, truly shed, 2,000 years ago for you and for me, to redeem us from our sin, our selfishness, and our self-centeredness. But wait, those were only three C's. I told you there was a fourth C. Ah, yes, the fourth and final C, 
That's the choice. The choice is what is before us right now. See, whether you're a believer or an unbeliever, it really doesn't matter. You have a choice. You know, God is a God of choices. I don't see a God in the Bible that crams things down people's throat, forcing them to believe. I see choices that are often presented. For example, if you know Christ this morning, you have a choice. You've been living your life a certain way as you followed, as you're following Christ. And that's good. But now Christ and God, by his spirit, is drawing you to a deeper faith in him and a higher plane of living and of walking spiritually. There's a choice. You can choose to go deeper with Christ, to walk higher with him. The choice is yours this day. And if you don't know Christ, if you're kind of wondering, what's it all about? This Jesus and God, and, and what's this sense that I'm feeling of kind of some eternal truths that you've spoken about, Dave, and I don't, and I don't quite get it. I don't quite understand it, but I want to learn more. And I want to know more. And I want to understand more. I, I want to be linked to my creator because of this indescribable pull that's drawing me closer to him. So you too have a choice. Your choice also is to continue to live your life, your old story, your old way of doing things, your old values, your old traditions, your old thoughts. Or I challenge you to choose a different choice. That choice is the pathway of Christ. That choice has you open your heart up to the eternal God who loves you. Where you say, I don't understand it, God, but, but I open up my heart to you and, and I want to learn more. I want to know you deeper. I want to more intimately know and have a relationship with this Jesus who, who lived and died for me. God always gives choices. And if you're an individual that at some point in time in your life, you had Christianity crammed down your throat, the Bible crammed down your throat, I apologize for the person who did that. Because that's not the cause of Christ. That's not the way God works. God gives choices. Always choices. There's a choice before us today. That being said, realize this. God gives choices. But God demands responses one or the other. Nothing behind door number three. One or the other. One or the other choices. He always gives choices, but he demands responses.